Well, good morning, and what an encouraging time it's been already just being here. And, and so I feel like I'm at home uh, this morning. And so I'd ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And as you're turning there, I just want to begin with a few questions. If you could ask God for just one thing, what would it be? Just one thing. Perhaps you would ask for a family member or a friend to be healed from some terrible disease. Perhaps you would ask for the salvation of someone for whom you've been praying for many years. Maybe you would ask God to resolve for you a difficult conflict that you are in, some kind of interpersonal conflict, uh, perhaps with a spouse, perhaps with a friend or a family member, just some painful experience that you're going through that you would ask the Lord to resolve. Or perhaps you're just here this morning just wanting to seek general direction from the Lord and his will for your life. While you're in a good place, all these and more are wonderful reasons to come to the Lord in prayer. All of these desires are good and right, and we should cast them upon the Lord, for he cares for us. And as we enter into the Psalms and read the Psalms, we, we know that they are filled with petitions and requests to the Lord that are so instructive for us. And here in Psalm 27, David conveys a confidence in the Lord despite some very difficult circumstances. And out of the depths of his heart, he cries out and he expresses a holy desire to be in the Lord's house. He cries out and asks God for one thing. It's not the only thing that he asks for God, but it is the one preeminent thing, the one thing above all, and that is to know and experience the presence of the Lord all the days of his life. What a good thing. What a what a good one thing above all things to pursue and to desire in our lives. And if you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So as we turn to Psalm 27, let me read the psalm in its entirety and ask the Lord for his help. A psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above, above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the Lord's inspired, inerrant, sufficient, and necessary word. Let's ask him for some help this morning as we enter into this text. Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts that are already filled with wonder, awe, and praise at the new covenant, for the songs that we have sung, Father, and the truths that we have impressed upon our hearts today. Thank you for your love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us a sufficient and clear word, and I ask, Lord, for your help and your enablement to proclaim that which you want your people to hear this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would give us ears to hear and heart to believe and hands to obey what thus saith the Lord. So we come to you now, totally dependent upon you, not only for our life and our breath and everything, but that you would make the word live to our hearts. We pray this in the majestic name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you can tell by the reading of the psalm, Psalm 27 prepares us for the difficulties of life in this fallen world and how to persevere with joy in the Lord. You notice from the outset in verse 1 and all the way through the beginning and to the end that David expresses this confidence, this this rock-solid confidence despite some very trying circumstances, despite some very difficult encounters in his life. And so I want to begin this morning with what I call a depressing picture. Because the the psalmist does not give us a sanitized version of life. Life in a Genesis 3 world as we know it. And in the midst of deep suffering and hardship, David points us to the one thing that is needed most. In the midst of persecution and suffering and hardship and unimaginable difficulty, David desires one thing above all, and that is God's abiding presence. And so let's look again at verses 1 to 3 and see his confidence conveyed right there in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Well, the implied answer is there's no one to fear. If the Lord is your light and salvation... The Lord is my stronghold, he says, of my life. In whom shall I be afraid? Again, the implication is of no one. Then he gets into what is rather a depressing picture. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. 
As with many of his psalms, David starts out with just a note of strong confidence in the Lord, and then he begins to describe himself as a person who is afflicted, who is, who is downcast, who is being assaulted, who is distressed, who is profoundly suffering. And we can't be exactly sure what's going on in David's life at this time, but I believe the context of the psalm is the time between uh, David's anointing as king and the time that he would actually be installed as king. Some of you may be familiar with 1 Samuel chapter 15 and where we learn King Saul offered unauthorized sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel ends up confronting him with the words, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. He tells Saul that on that day he has been rejected over king as Israel and the spirit departs from Saul. And at the same time, Samuel makes his way down to the house of Jesse to look for a new king. And as the narrative goes, they bring out all the sons of Jesse. Samuel says, it's not any of them. Do you have any more sons? Jesse says, I have one more son, but it can't be him. And here comes David, and they bring him out, and he says, that's him. That's him. And this David comes out, and Samuel anoints David as king over Israel, and the Spirit of God resides upon him. Fast forward to chapter 17, when Saul should have taken on Goliath, that Philistine, and David slays Goliath and receives the praise of the people. Oh, Saul has slayed his 1,000, but David has slayed his 10,000. And Saul is angry. And the rest of 1 Samuel is Saul persecuting David, pursuing David. David has not yet ascended to the throne, that he is rightfully his, and yet he is in danger. It's a depressing picture. Verse 2, evildoers assail him to eat his flesh. I mean, it's like wild animals want to devour him. They're coming after him. Whether it's real or it's perceived, whatever, whatever, David is feeling this way. This is the way his spirit is, is taking this. They are looking to destroy my flesh and kill me. Verse 3, an army is encamped against me. Verse 6, my enemies are all around me. Verse 10, my mother and father have deserted me. It's like family and friends have turned their back. Those who were once trusted, confidants, have turned away from him and they have, they have just forsaken him. Verse 12, my adversaries are trying to break my will and slander me and bring false witness against me. They have risen up. These are terrible circumstances. This is an awful affliction. And as awful as all that sounds, here's the amazing thing. David never loses his confidence in the Lord. And if you are like me, you have to ask yourself the question, how can the worst possible scenario and circumstances go hand in hand with the solid, confident trust in the Lord? How can both exist at the same time? And it is a question that people will ask of you as you persevere through various trials in your life. How is it, my friend, that you can stand fast and cling tightly to the Lord Jesus when you're going through the difficult things that you are going through? We've had a saying recently at our church, and, and I think, I've, I, think I've, uh, I can take credit for this. 
Maybe it's tweetable, I don't know, but it goes like this. Our circumstances do not determine how I am doing. Here's my circumstances. You know, a lot of times when we tell when people say, how are you doing today? You, well, you give them your circumstances, don't you? You tell them of all the things that are going on in your life. Sometimes they're not pleasant. People go, oh my goodness, that does not sound good. But then how you are, you are saying, but I am doing well in spite of my circumstances. And what I'm trying to impress upon us, brothers and sisters, is that our circumstances do not determine our joy in the Lord. Our joy in the Lord is determined by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and God's abiding presence with us. So David extols his Lord. He says, I, I didn't give in to the darkness because the Lord was my light. You see that there? Though he was surrounded by danger, he knew the Lord was his deliverer and his salvation. Although he was weary and heavy laden, he said, The Lord is my strength, the Lord is my stronghold. Although enemies and foes were all around him, he said, It is they who will stumble and fall. My mother and father have forsaken me, but here it is, good news. The Lord will take me in. Out of all the difficulties that David was facing, there was still something that gripped his heart. Out of, out of his response over his dire situation and what he was going through, he expresses confidence in the Lord, but there was still one thing that, that he would not let go of in his heart. There was still something missing in the midst of suffering and persecution, and I believe that one burden of David's heart was the fact that he was cut off from the congregational worship with the Lord's people in the temple, in the Lord's house, in the tabernacle. David wanted more than anything to be in the congregation, to be in the house of the Lord. And while it was true that, that God was with him in his suffering, wherever he was, away from that time of worship, and it is true that God was strengthening him by his spirit during this difficult time, as far as David is concerned, his personal relationship with the Lord was secondary to his corporate relationship with the Lord and the Lord's people in the Lord's house. That's what I find in this psalm. I think that's what David's burden was there in verse 4. On one hand, he can speak about his confidence in the Lord. He can speak about the Lord being his light, his stronghold, his deliverer, his redeemer, his stronghold, and yet he has a burning desire to be in the Lord's house. There's just some realities about God and some truths about God and some experiences of his presence that David could not have alone. Alone. So, we see a depressing picture and then, I only have two points this morning, we see a desperate petition Given the depressing situation just described, I wonder what you and I would be praying for in that moment. I know what I would be praying for. Lord, get me out of this situation. Lord, raise up my friends who will have my back and speak on my behalf. Lord, Lord, do something to deliver me from this awful, awful situation. I wonder what our greatest desire would be. Stop my enemies from persecuting me. Let's look at David's response. Verse 4. One thing 
have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now the actual prayer begins in verse 7 to verse 12, but here his heart is, is expressed. His desire is conveyed here most profoundly in verse 4. Now there are quite a few requests made by David in this psalm. In other words, there's quite a few things that David asked for in this prayer. For example, if you'll follow along in the text, verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Or verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Or verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. David makes many requests of the Lord. He asked for many things, but above all these requests, I think the one desire that takes precedence and the one thing that David has on his heart is to be in the house of the Lord. I think verse 4 expresses that very clearly. Our eyes are drawn to that text. He's not asking for earthly comforts. He's not asking for a temporary reprieve. He's not asking to be delivered from the hardship. He's asking for something that only the Lord can provide. His desire is for something spiritual, something eternal, something that is uppermost in his affections, and something that he will seek after. The question comes to us, why was David so passionate about the house of the Lord. Why did he desperately want to be there? And as you read through the psalm, you hear references to the tent, to uh, temple, to the house of the Lord, and all these are, are synonyms. Uh, Solomon's grand temple was not yet built. I think this is the, the tabernacle that David is referring to. That tent, that, that unimpressive tent, if you will, it was really nothing to behold from the outside just by merely looking at it. So the question is, why such a desire to be there? And the answer is because that is where God preeminently manifested his presence. He wanted to be in the presence of Almighty God. It wasn't the earthly temple that charmed David. It wasn't the beauty of it anyway. It was the beauty of the Lord that was to be found in the temple in a special way. You see that right there in the text. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was the place of the mercy seat. It was the place of sacrifices. It was a place of worship. It was God's house. And in that house, the furnishings of the temple, the elements of the worship, and even the priest's garments all pointed to the beauty of the Lord in some way. And in a world that is full of brokenness and suffering, a sure means of lifting the hearts of the saints is to gather on the Lord's day for corporate worship where we can together behold the beauty of the Lord. That's why we're here. We so wonderfully have done that this morning 
As David thought about God's house, he longed to experience God's presence there. He longed to hear of the mighty deeds of God, this delivering God. I am the Lord your God who delivered you from bondage to Egypt. He longed to hear the covenant promises explained. And in those moments of worship in God's house, listen to this, David's heart would be lifted far beyond his circumstances and up to heaven where he would behold the beauty of the Lord. Have your hearts not been lifted up this morning already? It is so encouraging, my friends. Brothers and sisters, you and I know this to be true. The beauty and majesty of the Lord is more gloriously put on display here than it is anywhere else. I I believe that. The beauty of the Lord that I'm talking about has little to do with your surroundings. This is a beautiful place. I love it. It's You have a wonderful place, but it has little to do with the beauty of the building and everything to do with what takes place here. The sheer singing of songs and hymns and spiritual songs elevates our affections to Christ. The preaching of the word extols his glory and his beauty and his goodness. The Lord's Supper that you will participate in conveys to you the beauty of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. This is a beautiful place because what takes place here. Now, of course, we can worship God anywhere, anytime. John 4 makes that clear. But don't you sense God's presence more profoundly here in corporate worship than anywhere else? That's why I'm, I'm on a... I'm on a maybe a tangent to encourage people. I'm happy for your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What church are you a member of and what church are you serving at? Well, I'm not a member of a church. You love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not a member of the church? No, I don't really have a need for the church. So you're telling me you love the head but you don't love the body. Is that what you're telling me? Here's what I would say to you, my friend. You cannot love the head without loving the body. By this, all will know that you are my disciple. What if you have love for one another? It is the very work of God that draws us together and binds us together. And I mean, I, I feel like I'm at home this morning because of the profound sense of the Lord's presence through the reading of his word and the singing of these songs and and what we, are, what we are going to behold here this morning. Can I ask you a question? Is the Lord beautiful to you? Have you come to a place in your life where you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Now, we don't have any descriptions of Jesus in the Bible per se of really what he looked at save one place, and that would be Isaiah 53, and it's not a pretty picture. We don't have a beautiful picture of Jesus per se. He had a beard, he had this eye, he had this color eyes, he had this, he had that. We, we have the picture of the suffering servant who was maimed and who was defaced and who was reviled so much that men turned their face away from him because it was the Father's good pleasure to pour out his wrath upon him to save sinners like us. And in that he becomes beautiful, doesn't he? He is beautiful. How beautiful are the feet 
of him who brings good news, right? That's what Romans, Romans says. God came to earth. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father. He died a sacrificial death. And he calls all men everywhere to repent and believe in the gospel to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and to receive the righteousness that he provides for us by faith. That's good news. It's beautiful news. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is good news. That is the good news of the gospel, and that is why we see Jesus as beautiful. I, um, I, I know that these psalms were, were sung. This is the uh, inspired hymn book of Israel that we have here. And uh, so I have Spotify, which is fun. If you have Spotify, it's like, okay. It's not a sin to have Spotify, right? Okay, good. Because <laughs> I just Google Psalm 27. It's about 30 songs came up. One by Shane and Shane and others, and I listened to it. It was so awesome. I'm, because when I'm preparing sermons, I like to think, what are some hymns? What are some songs that come to me? And, you know, and um, I know Joe mentioned I got saved at, at 35, so I've been in Christ two years now. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know a lot of hymns. <laughs> then he said, I've been there 17 years and I'm doing the math and I'm like, they're not going to believe I'm only 37. <laughs> but I'm going through my phone and I'm listening and I'm looking and I remember a song by Sovereign Grace. So I love Sovereign Grace music. And the song is called I Stand in Awe. And hymn writers and preachers for for decades, for centuries, have tried to describe the beauty and convey the beauty of the Lord. And it's the human language, it just does not allow us to convey the grandeur and the splendor. But this song captures what I think this inability to fully convey the beauty of the Lord. The lyrics are this You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. Yes, yes. Psalm 96.6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Not only did David want to Behold the beauty of the Lord. He also wanted to, in verse 4, to inquire of the Lord. He wanted to go to the house of the Lord to inquire. To, to inquire of the Lord is to seek his wisdom, to seek his direction, to seek his guidance. He wanted to hear the will of God so that he would do the will of God. Now you have to remember this is taking place at a time where there were well, Bibles were scarce, and so the only place you could go to hear God's will for your life was in the temple to hear the word expounded. To seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance, you had to be present at corporate worship. Same is true in the New Testament. Bibles are scarce. In the early church, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Again, maybe I'm on a hobby horse, but our, our personal devotions are fantastic. 
They are necessary. They are means of God's grace in our life. But let us not, let us not forsake the assembly, which is the habit of some. That we would come and hear a man qualified and called by God who gives himself over to the study of the word and prayer that he would pour out his soul in bringing you to Christ and sanctifying you and building you up in the most holy faith. You can only get that in the congregation. I'm sorry, you can't get it on a podcast. You can't get it on YouTube. You can't get it at home in your jammies drinking coffee, watching TV. And so you have to understand that for most of church history, if people were just seeking to discern God's will, they would have to go to the corporate gathering to hear the word being expounded. They gather together for regular reminders of the Lord's body that was broken and the Lord's blood that was shed. They gather together to hear the apostles' teaching. They sought the Lord in prayer. They sought the Lord in worship. And as they lifted up the elements of the Lord's Supper, they beheld the beauty of of the Lord, that's what the church has done. And what a tremendous privilege we have to gather for worship. And I pray that we never take it for granted. I pray that we have a holy desire like David had to be in God's house on God's day. I wasn't, I'll put this in my notes, I wasn't thinking about this, I don't even know what I'm gonna say about this, but during the shutdowns it was awful. And I was preaching to a little camera, and I, this is just me, okay, you got to get to know me. I am who I am. Love me for who I am. Carol says, you know, what you see is what you get. That's good. I hope that's good. But I'm preaching to a camera with no congregation. And I think it went on for eight or nine weeks or something like that. And, and uh, I, I, had, I had an unsettledness in my spirit. I know a lot, of, a lot of you did, and a lot of my congregation. It just... When we were told that we could not go to the Lord's house, oh man. <laughs> Let me ask you something. If you were not able to get here for one reason or another, would then, would, would your heart be stirred to want to be here? When you were, like we take it for granted that the doors are always open, that we're always going to be here. I had people telling me, Pastor, do not close the church. I want the church open. I want you to open the church. Don't close the church. You want to be open Wednesday. You want to be open this and that. I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, your elders trying to figure out what to do. Those same people, once we did open, have not attended every single service. Those who insisted that we keep the doors open should be there waiting for the doors to be open. I don't know what I'm trying to say is that Boy, what a hunger to be with the Lord's people. And God has graciously granted our prayers and bringing us back together. And little by little, people are trickling in. I'm no longer looking at a camera. I'm looking at real people. And it was beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it hasn't stopped. We've been on a trajectory. We've been on an uphill climb. We have kept our eyes focusing on the Lord. He is lifting us up. I know he's doing that here. And so, brothers, let's keep on. Sisters, let's just keep on doing this. Let us never take it for granted that we can gather together as a church and we gather together so we would have the confidence and the courage to press on together. And David finishes his psalm with that confidence in verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's one thing to pray for something that your heart earnestly desires. It's another thing to convey confidence that he's going to do it. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Maybe some of us need to hear that this morning. 
And in my mind, in my mind's imagination, I know, and, and I think scriptures bear this out, that, that God did grant David's request. And in my mind, I see him coming into the, to the tabernacle, and he sees the lampstand, and he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And he comes in, and he sees the table of the bread of presence, and he says, Oh, Yahweh provides for his people. He looks over at the altar and he sees a God who makes atonement for all his sins. He sees the veil in the tabernacle and it reminds him that God is holy and righteous. He knows there's an Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat on top which the blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It would remind him that God is merciful and gracious But what David only saw in types and shadows, we see now fully in the face of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. We see the word that was made flesh and tabernacled among us. We see Jesus who is the light of the world, the bread of life, the atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. We see Jesus as altogether beautiful, do we not? You see, Jesus wanted one thing above everything else. He had one desire in his heart, and that was to do the will of the Father. Father, if there's any other way to let this cup pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but thy will be done. He had one desire. He went to Calvary. He purchased our salvation, and for that we praise him, and we find him beautiful beyond description. Praise the Lord. In many ways, brothers and sisters, I know that this is just practice for what we're going to be doing for all eternity, right? And I believe by reading other Psalms that David had a a heavenly desire. Uh, I believe as he has conveyed in Psalm 23, 24, 25, 26, you you read that whole section that that David had something else in mind. I, I I don't believe David's overriding desire ended with a physical presence in the tabernacle. You see Psalm 23, you know it well. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think David had something more ultimate in mind than just congregational worship, because brothers and sisters, it does not end here. It continues there. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I I say things over and over in our church. I say press on. That's one of my things, press on. And the other is the best is yet to come because I believe that and you know it to be true. Because there is a place where God's glory and God's beauty is manifested in its fullness for all eternity. And there is no need for a temple there because the Lord will be the temple. And there is no need for the sun there for the glory of the Lord will shine upon that place. A place where there is no need for sacrifice. A place described in the book of Revelation 
where John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Here's what our hearts desire. So be in the presence of the Lord forever, that we would be his people and he would be our God and we would live in the land together. Dear Christian, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All our prayers will be answered. The greatest longing of our heart will be satisfied and we will dwell in the presence of the Lord where there is the fullness of joy at his right hand. The best is yet to come. This is a foretaste of heaven. I'm, I'm just, this is my first time here. I want to join your church. You, you take, do you take honorary members? Together, together we press on, do we not? We press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because it's really interesting. Paul said, you know what? Paul had a one thing too. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. One thing I do, he says. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, press on to the upward call. And remember the words of our Savior. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together.